Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Courtney Anderson. Let me tell you about Courtney. Courtney Anderson is a sober coach, podcast host, author, and your personal sober cheerleader. The founder of National Sober Day on, what is it, September 14th, and the founder of Sober Vibes, an online support community for recovery and sober curious women of all ages. Her favorite day of her life is August 18, 2012, because that's the day she finally stopped the madness of addiction and started to do some real living. So Courtney, welcome to the Me Time Midlife Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And we met on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. I reached out to you because I think what you do is great and you have a great story and we've talked a little bit and you've shared a little bit of that with me. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with, um, with the audience here today. But um, before we get started, let's uh, start with the first question I, have, I ask every first time guest, which is what do you enjoy doing during your me time? And I know it's not drinking anymore. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Uh, my me time really has transitioned. Uh, every morning I take probably about an hour and I do my personal development. I read 10 to 20 pages and I meditate and I do my gratitude, gratitude journal. So that's really kind of my me time and drink coffee, of course. Nice. Did you say an hour you spend every morning? About an hour. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, um, is this something you've been doing for years or is this a new practice? What? No, this is something I've been doing for years. Um, wow. it, it started when I got, when I got sober, I would just wake up and, and do gratitude of just like naming off a couple things I was grateful for to keep things in perspective for me. And then it eventually grew into, um, a practice a couple of years into my sobriety, I started then meditating and then I got really big into personal development. So I like to, um, there's one thing I can do and that's control my mornings. And, and that's just something that sets the tone for the whole day. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what are some uh, positive things that you, you know, you experienced or you learned through, you know, making that time for yourself in the morning and, um, I know maybe an hour is, is a lot for some women who are kind of just mm -hmm. starting and they want to have that time and maybe 10 minutes is, is doable. Um, but what has that time, like, how has it positively affected you? Uh, well, that time has, has affected me in the ways of meditation that I've, I've made it a daily practice daily for the past three years. Previous to that, it was, I probably would meditate like five days a week, but <clears throat> then slowly started seeing, I saw actually a mindset coach and he told me to meditate every day. So I started to, but the positive outcomes for the meditation has been my lack of chill. I can chill. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not reactive. Um, so a lot, uh, I'm able to go inward, you know, some visualizations and just relaxing, working on my breathing too. So that's, that has helped me overall too with helping with anxiety. Personal development, I owe a lot of that to, um, has helped me with my confidence and self-esteem and just has kind of have rebuilt the person I am. 
a lot more confidence has come from personal development. Right. Oh, that's great to hear. I love and that. And then of course, I mean, you cannot go wrong with gratitude because that that's just that just shifts your perspective. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, I've done some like happiness work, like studying happiness and all that. And it, it, I mean, the first thing always, and it's just something we kind of gloss over because, you know, we, we, we quote unquote, give thanks all the time we could say, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's really a practice that if you're intentional about it, about it, and you know, you can, I don't know, it's, it's so good in so many ways. And I think we often kind of just take it for granted and we don't understand like how beneficial it is. Yeah, Kim, and I don't want to get it twisted. I don't want people to think that I'm sitting there writing pages of gratitude. I legit write four things down that I'm grateful for. And some mornings it's just like my warm cup of coffee. Right, (laughs) totally. Or my comfortable bed, a roof over my head. Like it does not have to get so deep. And I think that's where people get get messed up on it. Yes, agreed, agreed. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yes. Um, okay, so you are a sober coach, yes. which is what um, attracted me to the work that you do. So um, why don't we just start with like, what what would be a, a typical client that you would work with? Uh, a typical client that I, I work with mainly women. Um, so anywhere from the ages of, I would say probably about 40 to 60. Um, and it really is just that woman wanting to regain power back into her life, uh, a lot of accountability and support, because when you give up drinking, it's very hard. Plus two, you need support outside of your home. And a lot of people actually don't have that support in their home. So uh, my clients have varied with, with what they've done with professionally wise, but the main thing is they want to live a life without alcohol and need help in that transition. Now, what, what like, um, what causes these women to get to the point usually, I guess maybe it's different for everyone, Mm -hmm. but about at what point do women feel like they want to make a change? Uh, so it does, like you said, it varies for, for anybody, um, because everybody has their, everybody's got a rock bottom. Okay. It does not have to be so disastrous, like a lot of my rock bottoms, but it can just simply be the fact of maybe your anxiety has increased throughout the years. You're facing uh, premenopause. You're entering that stage of your life and alcohol is just not good for us women as we age. So some people come, you know, find my services I've had people post rehab to continue that account and uh, accountability and support and help them within their next 60, 90 days. So it just all depends on the person. But the general thing is we all just want to feel better. And everybody gets to a point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I I, I have to take that saying because it is true. It's just, you get so tired of being on the continuous shame cycle, anxiety, hungover loop, and you just want to feel better. And you know that alcohol is no longer working for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have you on too, because I just love your philosophy. Like when we talked everything you were telling me, and I mean, you were sharing with me, I was just like, yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. And, um, you know, I'm a health and wellness coach for women in midlife. So, you know, from a health perspective, you know, alcohol, well, generally as we age, 
you know, our bodies just become less resilient. We just, we can't even drink the way that we did in our twenties. You know, we can't eat the way that we did, um, you know, decades ago. And, um, you know, we need more sleep. We need, we just, our bodies just are not as resilient. So it just, you just don't feel as good. Um, you know, so I, I really like that aspect of it too. Um, why don't you tell us your personal story with alcohol that you kind of alluded to that you had some rock bottoms yourself? Yeah, my, my love affair with drinking started when I, I was 19 years old, I compare, I compare it to a toxic relationship. I think we all, we all, for the most part have been in some type of toxic relationship before. So I was in an extremely toxic relationship for, with alcohol for 19 or for 10 years. So from 19 to 29, it started off very, very innocent and then grew into something dark. And by 25, I was like, I know I'm going to have to give alcohol up one day because this is no longer working for me. I woke up in jail. I've woken up in hospitals. I've had a car repoed. I eventually, you know, I had a couple of years there where I enjoyed cocaine and then eventually trying uh, crack. And this is all stuff that would have never happened if I was not in my addiction. You know, I mean, I would have never tried crack sober. <laughs> I just wouldn't have gone there because I just would have been like, oh, that's a terrible idea. But drinking, it sounded like a good time. So into waking up into men's beds where I did not know their name, but obviously had sex with them, ruined relationships and pissing off friends, failed opportunities just because of my drinking, um, schooling, messed up with schooling a bunch. So it just continued to elevate in that 10 year span. However, I was always able to pay my rent and, 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 um, have a job, maintain a job. Mm, wow. So wow. it was, uh, a functioning, a fun, uh, a public functioning, but a private non-functioning. Okay. So by 29 years old, I was living with my boyfriend at the time and I was transitioning from full-time bartending into going into the medical field leaving the, leaving the restaurant business, going into the medical field. And my boyfriend at the time, he was like, please don't drink tonight. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Of course, when I got there, I started to pound the shots because it was my last shift. And I woke up the next morning. I, I was told that I had lost my cat and my boyfriend was like, cause again, at this time we were together for a year and a half. And he was like, you can continue drinking, but I'm not going to be a part of this. Uh, if you want to stop drinking, that is your choice and we will work this out. So I found my cat after I, I had lost her a second time. I found her and I had made a pact with the universe during those three days of her missing. If I were to find her, I would never drink again and give it a shot. And I haven't touched alcohol since August 18th. 2012, Fiona is alive and kicking. We had found uh -huh. her and that boyfriend is now my husband. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a beautiful <laughs> story. Oh, right. I love that. So, so that, great. yeah. So kind of to sum it up, that is, is the relationship I had with alcohol, you know, towards the end of my drinking, I will say that that 25 to 29, I spent a lot of time trying to moderate and control my drinking but it became something that I always ended back to the same spot. 
and it wasn't, I was not drinking every day, but I was a binge drinker. So I think there's a misconception where people think that you have to have a drinking problem if you're drinking every day. I see. Right, right, right. So it was, so it was your, it was, okay. So it sounds like you had already been thinking about quitting Mm -hmm. for a while, but then like your cat, losing your cat was the thing that it sounds like losing your cat more than losing your boyfriend was was kind of the thing, right? It was a combination of both, but I just had felt so guilty in that next day. And after the drunkenness wore off, where that anxiety shame cycle came about again, where I'm like, I just lost the cat for a second time. And this is a little soul that we rescued off the streets. I mean, that's how we found her. So I had just, I had just felt so bad. And, you know, I think that was probably the second or third time I had stood over the bed uh, with Matt and threatened to kill him. And, you know, yelled at him and like, who wants to be in a relationship with that? So I do not blame the man for for Uh being upset, you know? So it just, it was a combination of both, but yes, that little, and I loved him in that little soul, uh, that little fur pants, that four-legged friend of mine, just, it was just sad. Right. Right. Yeah. She saved your life. Yes. Yeah. They both did. It was definitely, it was, it was a both because Mm -hmm. I never had given, nobody ever had ever presented it to me like that. I did not have anybody in my life before where it was like, you got to go to rehab. That was never an option. It was, I was enabled a lot. So many of us drink, you know, Mm -hmm. on occasion, or, you know, I, I do have to say that, you know, I've had clients who, drank daily, usually as a, um, maybe a coping mechanism, you know, mm-hmm. they've had a hard day at work. Um, you know, they come home and they have a glass of wine with dinner. They might have a second glass after dinner. It helps them relax and unwind and, and all of that. Um, and it just becomes kind of a habit, mm-hmm. but then, um, you know, the way that I work with them is, well, then it disrupts your sleep. You don't get as good sleep. And then when you don't get as good sleep the next morning, um, you're tired. And, you know, when you're tired and don't get good sleep, you tend to not make healthy choices. And then so you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're drinking, you're not exercising, you're stressed. And it's just this snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that it starts with alcohol. It's just a part of it. But let's talk about that just kind of like, you know, how does alcohol addiction start off? You know, cause again, you know, we, we go to a restaurant, we have a drink, we might have a drink at, at night or whatever, like, but how does an addiction like begin? How do you know when you're on that road? I guess. Well, I, I think an addiction, I think addiction starts sometimes too. Uh, well, I know it does in the family dynamic. So it, it starts even before you even start to drink or use. And because you have to look at alcohol is so embedded in our society where yes, people actually think that it's, we have to, we have to start normalizing that alcohol is not the only way to distress yourself. Cause it's, it's not true. You just stated the facts of alcohol actually is doing more worse than your body than good. Like if you want to distress yourself, sit there and do a 10 minute meditation. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. color, bake something, get into a hobby because it is something that starts off so innocently of like, okay, I'm going to have a glass of wine. And this is a lot that happens with women I work with. They start with, it start off with a glass of wine. 
that eventually ended up to two bottles a night. And then they're sitting there being like, how did this happen? And asking themselves that. So it starts off to as a, as a habit or, or very innocently, but I do believe that people are prone with genetics wise with the disease of addiction um, because it is a learned behavior and to genetically. So you kind of have to start to look into your own household of, of how alcohol was presented to you. Um, for me, it was presented uh, as, as you drank when it was fun, celebrated anything. If you had a bad day, you celebrate. I mean, alcohol was always there. It, it was like the sixth family member. And then when you, you know, when you come from a family like that, it, it, it's just, it's, it's, it just, it's like the elephant in the room. So definitely kind of, you have to look of what were your parents doing? How, how does your parents have issues? Family members have issues. So start from there, but it's kind of one of those things because alcohol is in a very highly addictive substance, no matter if you have the gene or not. Right. So that's where you have to look at this, like in, you know, alcohol now today, it's the only drug where you have to explain to people why you're not using it. What do you mean? Like, for instance, if it's it's so common, yeah, like Mm -hmm. have a drink. What's the first thing that people offer you when you go to their house? It's a, it's a drink. So when you say, no, I'm good. People will, will will press back and be like, well, what do you mean? Do you can just it's have so one? True. So, but if I was to sit there and bust out a line of cocaine, do you think people are going right. to ask you, right. why are you using or heroin or crack or, you know, going into the prescription b- pill problem? So it's just, it, it's just one of those things. It's like alcohol is the, is the only drug that you have to explain to yourself why you're not using it. Exactly. You're so right. You're so right. And, you know, something that really bugs me is that you watch like these shows with, um, with women, a group of women, and the only way that they unwind, the only way that they can have fun, the only way that they can connect and vent and, you know, enjoy a night together, it has to do with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Like you watch like Sex in the City or even like Grace and Frankie, which is like they're in their 70s and they're drinking. Um, You know, I watch that show. I think it's Mm -hmm. funny. And I really like those those two women. Um, But they drink like every episode. And yes. it's just normal. And I, I just, that, that kind of stuff really bothers me. And then the marketing behind, you know, just alcohol in general, like alcohol is, you know, it's sexy and it's fun. And, um, you know, there's all these different kinds of fun looking drinks and ways to drink them. And, you know, like that kind of stuff really bothers me. What about you? Uh, it used to, honestly, it used to, because in my recovery and sobriety process, uh, you got to go through a grieving process. You have to go through the process of what you, you, who you once were, and then to that relationship with alcohol, cause you're breaking up with it. So not saying that you are completely changing your whole personality around when you get into recovery, but it is a thing like you have to grieve that you have to be like, see, I'll never deny my addiction years because there were some days it was only like 10% because 90% of the time it was like, once I started drinking, I couldn't stop and it ended up in nightmares. But 
10% of the time, there were some times that I really had fun with girlfriends drinking, going to a concert, you know, quote unquote, behaving myself. So I'll never deny that. So when I grieved this, I used to get mad at alcohol companies early on in, in recovery. And then, um, you know, in the cute shirts that say it's five o'clock somewhere, rosé all day, blah, blah, blah. But now I'm at to the point where I cannot keep blaming media and or, you know, society with how they view alcohol. That's not my place to judge anymore. It's in the media. People are getting rich off of alcohol companies. There's a great documentary called Prohibition. I recommend for people to watch it. It's by Ken Burns and it explains alcohol from start to present day. And when I watched that, I was like, I get it. And it was just a point where I was like, I cannot, again, keep blaming because I have to take accountability. Nobody was, nobody was opening my mouth and pouring alcohol down it. I was doing that. So, but there is big business and it's the same thing for the food industry. It was the same thing for the tobacco industry. Yes. Now we have big pharma. So it's just yes. like, yes, people are making money off of it. I've come to peace with it. You know, in August, I'll be nine years sober. And it's just the point of you, you just kind of let it go. What I like to see now in media is television shows about addiction, recovery, uh, people not choosing to drink. And I think that's going to start coming more and more popular. I really, really hope so. I yes. really, really do. Yes. Because that's the thing. It's this illusion. And that's what you have to go through too in your sobriety that drinking's not sexy, but that is what has been burned into our brains. Like said, like going back to, again, the tobacco company, same with the food uh, industry, look how they market towards kids. So they get kids at three years old, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. You're absolutely right. Um, okay. So let's talk about AA. Now, where does, <laughs> now, did you, did you go through AA? What was your experience? Um, and what do you think of, of AA? Um, I think AA is a great community. Um, I did go to AA the first, first couple weeks of, of my early sobriety, but it didn't connect with me. And so I had stopped going. And then about year three or four, I believe it was year four, the summer of that, I went back to AA and participated and partaked in the program for a summer. And I took what I wanted and I left the rest. I think nowadays with 12 step programs, there's this judgment and people think that you're going to walk in there and, you know, you're going to start getting Bible verses spoken to you. People are going to brainwash you, blah, blah, blah. And it's a great community and helps has helped many people get sober. And my suggestion for anybody is take what you want and leave the rest. And that is what I did because it is sometimes a lot going in there. You know, people don't want to identify as themselves as alcoholics. People don't want to get up and say, hello, my name is, um, which you don't have to, but there is principles inside that 12 step where it can make people feel uncomfortable. And for me early on, I was really uncomfortable with God. So now in my recovery process, I'm a very spiritual person. 
and it does not make me feel uncomfortable. But early on those, that first week, the God talk definitely was uncomfortable for me because I was just, I wasn't there. I was not there. So there's other ways to recover nowadays. And too, I also believe with, with AA, you have, you have to, I mean, all, a lot of this stuff was written back in the late thirties, early forties. So there just needs updated. There needs to be some updating, you know, and two white men formed this group. So it's just, it's just, it's, it's just different. And that's why too, I sat with women. I did not go and sit and and mingle with men. I sat with the women because that's where I felt comfortable. Right, right. Okay. So now what do you do as a sober coach? Like what, um, you know, like I know that you, you really, uh, try to offer alternatives to alcohol uh, as a way to um, de-stress, unwind, whatever, like you shared, you know, meditation, coloring, those types of things. So is that what you do as a sober coach? Like what, what could somebody expect if they hire you? Like wh- what would that look like? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, when I work with somebody one-on-one, I have a group coaching program and I have one-on-one coaching and one-on-one coaching is daily accountability and support along with, um, a, a 50 minute meeting each week. And I'm there again for accountability and support where I help you out each week of what you're going through. I can't, I don't have a program because it's not all designed for, it's not a one size fits all. And that's what you have to think. Everybody's different. So, but what we work on is habits, finding new habits, finding new, what brings joy into your life. And me just simply being there of if, if you feel like you're needing to have a drink, we talk about it and I'm there to kind of talk you off the ledge if you need to some days. So, but, um, I do also to give uh, homework out each week of, of resources of what I think would work best for you, uh, work best for the client. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's such a sacred, it's, it is personal. And that's where it's just like, you know, one person might be like, I can, I don't want a journal, but I'm very artsy. So it's like, well, let's express yourself into like a painting or coloring if that's how you express yourself, because not everybody mm-hmm. is a journaling freak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. It's it's true. Not everybody can express themselves that way. So you can't ask one person to keep doing the same thing right. if it's not working for them. Exactly. Exactly. And it needs to be able to replace what alcohol was giving them, whatever yes. that was, that escape or that. Yes, because this is the thing. Anyone can stop drinking and using drugs. But what we're going to work on is the emotional sobriety of it, of sitting there in your feelings of not wanting to escape. And that's where a lot of people have a hard time and relapse happens for a lot of people because they cannot sit there and they have not allowed themselves to find alternative habits of healthy habits, you know, especially too, a lot of people have grown up in very dysfunctional homes and then you get codependency on top of it and just in acting out and whatnot. So I really try to help people with emotional sobriety of like, okay, instead of wanting to reach for the drink right now, let's work on some exercises for you to not think that way. Right. So, and too, I just like to empower women as well. 
because it, it doesn't have to look all doom and gloom. Yes. Yes. Now, now speaking of doom and gloom, let's talk about the <laughs> pandemic um, as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, did, have women, I'm going to assume yes, but have women, have you experienced women uh, have been drinking more or did they drink more during the pandemic? Did it become more of a problem? I'm going to guess yes. Yes. I mean, you know, you take away people's structure and uh, it's just, especially to with women who do not have husbands, girlfriends, boyfriends, significant others, and they're living alone, you know, I mean, but this has happened with men too. I was just talking to a friend and he told me he, he, he's like, I'm taking a break from drinking. And again, I don't think everybody who, not everybody who drinks has a drinking problem. There's just couple million of us who alcohol does not go hand in hand with. So, but it's just, yes, the rise of addiction in the past year and a half has been, um, it's, it's sad, but what else, I mean, I don't blame people for sitting at their house and getting hammered. It was scary times. It totally, you know, totally. and yes. then you, like I said, you take away people's structure and even people in recovery, it's just like, do you take away people's structure? Because a lot of people didn't have structure for a really long time. In recovery, you get into it and you crave that. It's like, you know, and I crave structure too. So you start getting antsy, mentally antsy. Right. It's like, you just want to go and, and, and live about your normal life. Exactly. Yeah. And then just the social aspect of it. Like you don't, you know, like you said, if you're single or... Uh-huh. whatever the case may be, um, you know, not getting a hug. Like I know some people who have not had a hug for a year and a half, like have yeah. not been touched by another mm-hmm. person. You know, I mean, we need that. We need the social, we need the physical. Um, and it's, it doesn't surprise me at all that people were drinking more during the pandemic. No, but I, um, on the, on the flip side of that, and I know it, 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 it sounds, um, a contradiction, but on the flip side of that, that was a perfect time for people to sit at home and get sober because there was no social opportunities. And I, I believe for us women, the socialness is a huge part of our, our, the drinking. So sitting home, not having to commit to anything or work happy hours or any of that, where you could just sit home and be like, Oh my God, this is great. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Well, way to leave it on a positive note. I think that, that was, <laughs> real, that was, that was great. Thank you. Yes. Um, so Courtney, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast and for sharing your story and for the work that you do. I think it's so important and, um, congratulations also because you're pregnant. Is that okay yes. to kind of oh, share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you're pregnant for the first time. And, mm-hmm. um, and I know you, you said you've been trying for a little mm-hmm. bit, so congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to put your website and your social media, uh, links. You're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out to you if they want to connect more. And I think you have a Facebook group as well, right? Yeah. I have a Facebook okay. group, um, sober vibes, and it's just for all women. And then of course, too, I have my own podcast sober vibes that That's you right. can find on all the podcast apps. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you again so much, Courtney. Thank you, Kim. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. The best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. 
It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcast app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more me time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook. Simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.